Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi everyone and welcome to On The House, the Household Management Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with expert knowledge from professionals in the field. I'm your host, Gabriella Yastra, coming to you from NAM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's get started. Hi everyone, um, welcome back to the show. Today I'm talking to Dr. Ben Stickle, who is an Associate Professor of Criminal Justice at Middle Tennessee State University. Um, and today we're going to be talking about home security from the perspective of home intruders and port pirates. Hi, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. I think the best way to get to know you is if you introduce yourself a little bit more. Sure. So again, my name is Ben Stickle. I've been involved in some type of policing or security for seemingly most of my life. I began very young, um, volunteering at my local police department and then became a police officer after college. Did that for about six years. Worked mainly in patrol and in crime scene investigations. So I investigated, oh, quite a few burglaries, thefts, uh, crimes that occurred at different houses and residents over the years. I was interested in doing a little bit more to try and help out uh, police officers and try and prevent crime. So I ended up going back to school and got a PhD in criminal justice and uh, began teaching. And that has taken me down some interesting roads over the last few years. And I've done a lot of research and really the focus of most of my research is around different types of theft and where they occur, how they occur and what we can do to try and prevent it. So that's been a real focus and a passion of mine for quite some time. Interesting. I can't wait to get into this. Um, I think there's a lot there's a lot of differences and a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of things we can learn as well from you. Um, very important topic. But before we get uh, going with the main topic, we're going to do something called Have You Met Ben? Um, and that's where we get to know you a little bit more. Um, so our first question is, um, what is your favorite book? So I'm quite the reader. I don't know that I have one. Uh, I enjoy a variety of different classics. Um, just finished 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I've read it before. Um, I'm also kind of a nerd and I like to read educational books. So I look at books that are on productivity. Um, I like economics. It's kind of my side interest, if you will. So I actually spend quite a bit of time reading uh, economics uh, books and textbooks and things of that nature. I can't imagine having an economics book be your favorite book. It sounds very, I mean, for me, very dull. I agree, but I seem to really enjoy uh, enjoy the topic. Well, I think that's great. You know, even if um, no one else finds it good, I mean, so long as one person, <laughs> so long as you find it interesting, that's all you need, really. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Is there a book, uh, is there a movie you've watched recently? Yeah, so I just finished watching uh, a movie. I'd seen it before, uh, The Hunt for Red October, which is based on a Tom Clancy novel. Um, as, as educational as I am and as focused as I am in economics books, when I watch a movie, um, I like it to be something I don't think about a whole lot. And I find a lot of those types of movies just entertaining. So um, I watched that one just about a week ago and enjoyed it. That's great. I think we need balance in our lives. So a bit of uh, learning and a bit of um, uh, relaxation. Um, do you listen to any podcasts? Oh, I have a small problem with podcasts and that I listen to too many of them. Uh, there's certainly quite a few that I listen to. 
Mm-hmm. Um, any in particular? So again, I like one called the Tom Woods Show, which is generally based on economics. Now, just because we mentioned it before, this is more like behavioral economics. So it's not necessarily the stuffy of, uh, you know, how much this price goes up, therefore that happens type of uh, thing. So it's more about how we behave in the uh, environment. And then I've been listening to a podcast for uh, almost 14 years called the Daily Audio Bible. And it's just a section of the scriptures that's read every day. And I really enjoy that as well. That sounds really relaxing, actually. Um, do you have a role model? This is kind of a hard question. Uh, I probably have multiple role models for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had to pick one, go back to my undergraduate college days, and I met a professor named Donald Hanna. And uh, he's a retired police officer. And just uh, even in his uh, late 60s, early 70s, looked like he could still do the job uh, and was really sharp intellectually and really engaging and just somebody I really thought I'd like to be like him someday. So that's that's really been somebody I've modeled a lot of my life after. That's really great that you have, um, I guess, someone who's sort of accessible, not just um, someone very distant. Um, that yeah, you can... we still talk even though we're some distance away, so it's nice. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, and have you completed any courses recently? I'm kind of ashamed to say no. Uh, really, the last class I took was my uh, PhD work, and that ended around, I mean, actual courses like 2014 or so. Um, you could probably count some of the books that I've read as a course if you wanted to. Yes, I think I think definitely some of them and some of the podcasts together. Sort of an online course, right? Yeah, very true. Okay. Um, so uh, what is household management to you? Yeah, so household management, uh, my quick and dirty definition, I guess, would be that, you know, households don't just happen on their own. And so there has to be some method for putting all this together. Go back to the economics example, if you want to, and talk about how everyone uh, has to pitch in and do certain things. Um, There's generally some roles that I fall into. There's roles my wife falls into, my children. Uh, Unfortunately, the dog doesn't help very much. But, uh, you know, running a house is not an easy thing to do. And so we have to kind of divide labor and decide who's going to do what and how we're going to make sure that the house is functioning well in an appropriate manner. I'm guessing um, one of your areas is home security. Yeah, I do a lot with uh, theft and particularly burglary and some things of that nature um, at the house. And we'll talk about porch piracy and basically we'll hit quite a few of the things that uh, types of crime that occur at a home. And so I look at that that question a lot. Mm. So what is the difference between like burglary, theft, robbery, home invasion? There's so many different words. Yeah, and this is a really tricky part. So a lot of people will use all these terms interchangeably. And this isn't something that, you know, the former police officer or the researcher or professor in me is going to, you know, jump down your throat and say, how dare you? Uh, These are somewhat confusing terms, but they are different. So if we're talking about a theft, if you leave something um, outside, say no one's entering your home, but they come onto your property, in most locations, that would be considered a theft. They took something that didn't belong to you. If they enter your home, whether by force or just because they're not allowed, even maybe you left your door unlocked, they came in, they took something. Most jurisdictions would call that a burglary because someone has entered a a burg, which is the old English term for house or your your home, whether that's an apartment or somewhere that you live. And then you have the other two uh, very serious types of crime. One is a home invasion and the other is a robbery. So there are some distinct differences. Robbing someone in almost every jurisdiction is gonna require you to use some type of force against that person. So it is possibly robbed in your home uh, if someone comes inside your house and assaults you or threatens you and then takes something that could be considered a, a robbery. 
um, and would maybe it be a burglary, maybe both, it depends. Um, and then a home invasion is going to be probably even more serious than this. And that's generally where there's one or two people who come into a home for the um, purpose of actually assaulting you, uh, taking things, tends to be a little more serious. And so it kind of goes from somewhat minor, like a theft of something you leave outside of your home, all the way up to a robbery where you're assaulted or harmed when you're inside your home. And so I'll try to be distinguished in these terms and maybe drop a few reminders as we go along so people get a you know a better idea of what we're talking about. So can you give some examples of um, some, I guess, methods of um, home security? Yeah. So, you know, home security really runs the gamut. And I'm just going to start with some probably simple things that, you know, people have thought about before. Um, locks, right? You know, we lock our doors, we lock our windows. Um, those are fairly simple, obviously very common ways to try and keep uh, people out. Um, and it goes to even more, you know, extensive. We can have home security systems. This is becoming uh, more affordable, right? And um, has the ability for you as the individual to monitor with cameras inside your home. So you can have alarm systems. Um, one thing we'll hopefully talk about later is just having a sign saying that you have an alarm. That's been quite effective. Um, dogs are by far seemingly the most effective, and almost every research bears this out that having a, a dog inside your house is really. Uh, a significant theft uh, and burglary deterrent. Of course, you can also consider lights, external uh, lights inside, uh, whether there be motion on the outside or timers on the inside might help. And then that goes all the way up to, you could get really complicated. You can pay someone to come by and drive by your house or to do uh, some type of security patrol. And really, I think the often overlooked part of home security that I do think is really important is knowing your neighbors. And hopefully we'll talk about that a little bit, but you know, having a neighbor who maybe knows kind of your habits of when you are and aren't home, knows that there shouldn't be anybody at your house at this time of day, knows when something's suspicious, that can be a very powerful thing and helpful thing to have that we often forget to talk about. I'm very curious about a dog as a security method because my dog is very lazy and I think if something <laughs> happened, he would be the last to know. So... We had this discussion at my house. We have a, a smaller dog, Perhaps. and uh, my wife is fond of telling me that uh, the dog is going to alert us and then go and run behind us um, because it's very unlikely that the dog is going to intervene. And so I think I understand your point, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One of which is, you know, generally burglars, again, someone who's entering a home, not with the intention of confronting you. Um, generally they're risk adverse. In other words, they don't want to be caught and they generally don't want you to be home. In fact, most of the time you're not, they, they do that on purpose and they don't want to draw attention. So a dog barking in the neighborhood, they know is going to make people eventually look, especially if the dog barks for a while. So that's one reason they may not want to do it. The other may just be this idea that a dog is going to attack them. This is a very deep seated fear in most people and is going to cause a reaction of something that we want to try and avoid. So even if it's a smaller dog, it could raise an alarm or an awareness, uh, that's not good. Or it could bite me, which would be bad as well. And those two things I think are things that keep people away when there's a dog present. So I guess they don't need, I guess the, they don't know the dog. So they don't know if the dog is gonna be the type of dog that will run away and not do anything. Um, right. Yeah. Um, so, and do you recommend then having those signs that says, you know, beware dog? 
Well, I don't think that would hurt. Um, I mentioned earlier that uh, there's actually been some interesting research where we look at, you know, home security systems as in alarms. And what we found is that a sign saying that there is an alarm is usually just as effective as actually having the alarm itself. And, you know, again, we think about criminals and it's easy to dismiss them as maybe not very smart, but the reality is criminals are risk adverse and generally a little bit on the lazy side. So if you have a criminal who's interested in a house and they see a sign that says there's a dog or they see a sign that says there's a camera system or they see a sign that says there's an alarm, they're going to think at least twice probably. And if they're really tempted, they may overcome those fears, but it's very likely they might pass on to a different home because again, they don't want to get caught and they don't want to have to put forth a lot of effort either. So a home that doesn't have those things may be more likely to be a target. So... Uh, recently, my mom put in some cameras in her own home and she actually wanted to hide the cameras. She didn't want the people to know that she had them. Um, is that a bad idea? Should she actually have them out there proud so that people know that they shouldn't rob her house? So I'm going to give uh, a yes and no answer to that, right? It depends okay. on the purpose. So let me back up and just start with a retail store for just a moment, because this is a great example. Next time you go shopping, if you haven't ever, look at the cameras. And what you'll see are some cameras that are there put on purpose so that you see them, right? They want you to see the camera in the aisle in certain sections. But in other places, they will hide the camera or not let you see which direction it's pointed. And those are two different purposes. One is to deter and the other is to actually catch. So... When you think about home security and home cameras, you should also be thinking about that as well. If possible, you want to deter, right? You don't want anyone to ever even get into the home or maybe even, you know, very far in your property if they're not supposed to be. So to some degree, the visibility of a camera or a sign is very helpful because it, it announces to the potential intruder, hey, I have cameras, you shouldn't do this. Um, but, you know, there could be some, some wisdom to trying to hide the cameras. The challenge there is if you catch the burglar after it's already happened, then, you know, what do you what do you do about it? And unfortunately, in most countries, we're not very good at solving burglaries, even with video cameras. It certainly isn't like you see on TV where the police can run down to a lab and instantly do a facial scan uh, to find out who the offender was, or at least it isn't yet. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of questionable value of video evidence after the fact. So I would lean toward having a camera visible as a way to prevent the crime rather than worry about catching them after. But it kind of depends on your needs and what you want. Okay, I'll tell my mom to put a big sign up that says, I have a camera, <laughs> and then points to the camera. Very good. Um, so you also mentioned a little bit about who is... Um, I guess, but um, burglarizing people's houses. So like, what is the profile and why do people do it? Yeah, so this is a really, really tricky question. Um, the hardest one is why. And we can come up with some very simple answers. Obviously, money is, you know, right up there near the top. And in fact, when we interview burglars, that's usually one of the first things they say is that they, they were looking for cash, something easy, maybe a credit card or something that can be used like money. Um, other items that are commonly mentioned are jewelry, because those are small, easy to transport, often valuable and easier to sell. They're also very difficult to trace. You can't really track down uh, watches and earrings as well. Um, you have things like medication, and we probably shouldn't forget that uh, there's a real prescription drug abuse problem, um, probably in every country. 
And uh, it's entirely possible you could have someone break in who knows that you have you know, a certain type of medication. Um, if you have guns in your house, that's certainly a target. Electronics, and sometimes it's electronics we don't think about. So when I was working as a police officer, game systems were like huge. And whenever a new game update came out and there was a new system or a new version of a game system, there was just burglary after burglary after burglary with people wanting that brand new item. And then one other thing that I just want to mention, you know, briefly, because I think it's uh, it's important, actually two things. One is some people just find it fun. And that's just incredible for us to even think about. Why would you find this entertaining? But we just need to admit that some people do. And lastly, I think there's a degree of people who do this out of revenge. And that may blow you away and you think, well, why on earth would anyone do this out of revenge? But what we generally know is a lot of burglary. So again, entering a home to steal something when you're not home is done by somebody who knows you. Now, they may not be your best friend. They may not know you incredibly well, but they may know you somehow. And so I think to some degree, it could be that's being done because maybe you had them over for your house with a party. They didn't like the way you did something. So they came back to ransack it or they're an estranged lover. There's just a variety of reasons that people might come back to try and, you know, steal something from your house um, because they're upset with you or something like that. So the reason is really open to interpretation, right? It could be uh, almost anyone, uh, any reason to break into a house. The demographics, they tend to be more male than female, but that is kind of changing as it is with a lot of other crimes. And generally it's a younger, um, younger person's sport, if you will. So 18 to 24 is usually a good range for burglaries, but it's not uncommon to see them uh, happening with uh, younger juveniles and things as well. So, I found that very interesting with the revenge um, aspect. Um, I, I'm trying to think if I have anyone in my life who's ever been annoyed enough at me to like break into my <laughs> to break into my home and take that's something. A, that's fair, but if if uh, if you were to think about who you know in your life who would take anything, I would imagine the number is pretty small, right? Um, you know, just trying to think, well, who do I know that would go steal something? That number might be kind of small. And it's entirely possible I'm a bit um, interested in that topic. So I, I just commissioned a study on package thieves. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But one of the things that kept jumping out for why people were doing this is over and over again, they said it was uh, revenge because they didn't get a tip when the delivery driver left something at your house. Or uh, this neighbor stole a package from me, so I stole one from them. Um, or this neighbor's really loud, and so I want to get back at them. So um, I, I found that just fascinating, and I have a feeling that some of the burglaries are probably could be for some similar petty reasons. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, make friends with your neighbors and um, don't annoy them. <laughs> Absolutely. So I guess um, why is home security important? Yeah, so again, home security is really important. You asked the question about home management, and... Um, I think we take our homes for granted many times and I don't know, and, and I'll say this as someone who's never had their home broken into, um, and someone who's never been robbed. Uh, but I think sometimes when we haven't had that experience, we take for granted the safety that we expect to have inside of our homes, right? It really is, um, kind of like our sanctuary, if you will. Um, or it really is, if you, again, if you go back to, um, English common law, this idea that it's your castle, it's, it's your domain, it's your dwelling, it's your safe space, if you will. And 
when talking with people who've been victimized in their homes, it's very concerning, right? Because all of a sudden this is this sense of peace that you had is, is violated. And so having that secure is just vitally important and probably more important than most of us think about who haven't had that happen to us. And let's be honest, really, when we talk about home security, we're talking about making sure that uh, most of the items that we possess, right, are safe from being vandalized or being stolen or being damaged in some way, making sure that the space and environment that we live in feels safe and secure, someplace we feel comfortable going to bed at night, someplace we feel comfortable with our family and our friends and things of that nature. And then we also have to consider that home security, as I mentioned with robbery um, and home invasion, is a personal issue. You want to be personally you know, safe and secure in your house as well. So there's really, I think, lots of reasons why this should be taken a little more serious. And the last thing I'll add to this is really uh, burglary and theft from, from homes is actually quite common. Um, and it kind of depends on where you live. But these are th the more likely crimes to happen. And, you know, you mentioned earlier the difference between a robbery and, 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 a, and a burglary. So I'll just, you know, casually mention, even though you didn't quite ask, you know, a lot of people go through their lives and think, well, I need to be careful walking to my car at night or going down this road because someone might jump out and attack me. And I'm not saying that couldn't happen, but what we forget about is it's far more likely that we'll have our home broken into uh, but we just don't think about that because maybe we don't see it on the news or something like that. So, you know, one of the things that I encourage is people to think about the type of crime that you're most likely to be a victim of. And for most people, having something stolen or having your home burglarized is much, much, much higher on the list than a lot of other crimes that we spend a lot of time worrying about. And the nice part about home security is there really are things that you can do to try and prevent it. If you you were talking and I was like thinking, actually, I actually have had, I've been burgled technically because um, I have a garage, which is separate from like my actual home. Um, it's downstairs mm -hmm. and people have taken things out of it. And I was like, technically, because that I'm paying for that space, that's mine. That's burglary, right? Maybe. It, again, it, it, will, will, it will depend on your jurisdiction. I'm not trying mm -hmm. to split hairs. So some jurisdictions will say that unless you, unless it's a, a single unit that you live in, mm -hmm. that would be considered your residence, your domicile, your, your home. Mm -hmm. And a detached building would not be considered part of your home. So that would be a theft as opposed to a burglary. But other states and other countries don't make that distinguishing difference. So it will depend on where you live for whether that's included or not. Okay, but it it's it is either either one or the other. Yeah, either yeah. one's bad, right? <laughs> and either one's bad. I was very annoyed when I realized because um, I lost something that's um, irreplaceable, um, and it was just I just didn't lock my garage one night, and yeah, very annoying. Yep. And there's no way to find it. Um, the other thing I was going to ask was so you mentioned like people taking like breaking into home because they know you have descriptions. So I guess how, how do people know these things? And like, is it like, is it the pharmacists who's breaking into your house to steal those? Like, how I'd do they know? Unlikely. Yeah, surely the pharmacist has an easier way to get access to medication. That's true. That's true. Um, I think it could be a variety of things. So let's take the medication route, for example. Um, this brings up a couple of interesting points. One is, you know, if you're having medication delivered to your home by mail, for example, um, someone who's frequently delivering it will probably know, even if it's in an unlabeled package, maybe the return address. And like, that's a pharmacy. 
um, for example. Um, another possibility, again, is it could be, and I think for most medication, if it's not just something they look for. In other words, most thieves go right for the bedroom and they go right for the dresser looking for money, jewelry, electronics, uh, guns, anything that's valuable. And they may stop by the restroom and say, well, there's prescriptions in most houses. Let me take what I can get. That, that's certainly one, the, the second option. And the third, again, going back to what I said previously about someone that you may know, um, if you have um, children in the house, and I say children from whatever age, they start having guests over all the way up to grown adult children, um, it's entirely possible that they have a guest that comes over and realizes that you have medication in your home and they could steal it while they're there, but they could come back to steal it. Um, and, and so that can occur as well. And I'll quickly add something that I haven't mentioned before that I think is important is somewhere around a half to um, three quarters of burglary victims are victimized again within about two months. And so this is actually really shocking for most people to find out that I've been burglarized once and it often will happen again within a short amount of time. And again, this goes back to the idea that if you as a burglar or a thief got a really good score, maybe you got some really valuable prescriptions and there was lots of cash and there was a nice computer, you could surmise, hey, that was easy to do and they'll probably be back. They're going to replace all this in a few weeks. I'll go back and do it again. And so this is also something that we have to you know, kind of consider as well, that if you've been a victim once, you really need to up your game for home security to try and make sure you're not a victim again. Okay, so I guess if, you, if, you've, if you've been burgled or robbed, the most important thing is to number one, get more security to improve yeah, it. Yeah, I, I would think so. And again, mm -hmm. that's going to depend on how the person came in. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the activity that went on there in, in your home as well. So you're going to have to kind of, I always call it tailoring your security and then also suggest you layer your security. So tailoring means you're going to pick out the security that's right for you. So you may not be able to have a dog, you know, and you may not want to buy a dog just for burglary prevention. Um, that's fine. Um, and, uh, you know, you may live in an apartment and so it's different than, than a home. So you want to get the security that's right for your risks. But I also suggest you layer your security. And by that, I simply mean, you know, you should use the locks on your home, but installing a camera isn't a bad idea as extra layer or having an alarm system. That's a third layer or having automatic lights on timers is another layer. Right. So to get the idea, the more things you can add, it theoretically reduces the likelihood of being a victim. Thinking about my home, I don't think I, I have a lock on my door. I think that's pretty much it. Well, and, you know, you can kind of laugh about that. Um, that's all I really have, too. Okay. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one of which is, you know, really, to be perfectly frank and honest, um, I didn't see a lot of good that some of the security did when I was a police officer. It seemed like a lot of these things were nice to know after the fact, you know, say an, a, a burglar alarm, and sometimes they prevent um, but I just kind of decided that I would just stick with the locks. But the other reason is, again, going back to that concept of tailoring, you know, security, I live, um, I don't know, probably about 15 minutes outside of a city and I live in a small neighborhood and has, uh, uh, two ways, one way in and one way out. And I live in a cul-de-sac and I know my neighbors and my risk is just honestly much lower than if I lived in a, in a flat in a large city or if I live close to um, other neighbors, 
Um, even having a home that's on a, a grid pattern for a street that has lots of you know things, or you have an alley behind your house, there's many, many ways that your home can be at a higher risk. And in those circumstances, I would suggest you have, again, a few more layers of security, but you may live in a neighborhood where it's not as necessary as someone else, and that's okay too. So you mentioned a few environmental factors as well. So um, I, I mean, I would think that living in a very remote area would make you more susceptible because there's no one to know what would happen. Is that correct? Well, that's something that cuts both ways. So the you, you are correct in that if you live in a very remote area, um, you know, people may not uh, see someone around. And so it's easy to go back when no one's at home and, uh, you know, take something per se, as far as your, your risk of getting caught less. At the same token, we go back to the concept of uh, criminals and how they think and make decisions. And like I said, remember, they're not, they're not uh, unintelligent. They're often looking for uh, low risk and something that's fairly easy. But another aspect of this is just simply opportunity. So if you lived in down a house with a long driveway, maybe your house was not visible from the roadway, it's unlikely that a meandering thief would decide to drive out of town and down a long driveway and say, oh, look, there's a house. Um, as opposed to I'm going to the store and I need some money or I need some drinking money and I know there's this house on the way to the store and I'm going to stop by there and, and take their money. Or I know of three or four houses real close right in a row. No one's ever at home. I can easily go hit all three of those and then be off very quickly. So there are certain, again, ways that you might secure a home if you live away from other people and different techniques you might use if you live closer. And your risk is just going to you know, vary. One quick example I'll give with this is if you live in a more um, urban city area, I generally suggest security lights, okay? particularly lights outside your home. If you have an outbuilding, uh, some type of storage um, uh, facility there, you know, I would have a light there. On the other hand, if you lived out away from the city lights, off in the distance, uh, and you have a barn or a large shop or some type of storage, I generally don't encourage you to have lights because then people see it when they drive by at night and they have a light if they're there trying to break in to work with. But, so again, that's where I say tailoring to your specific risks is very important. And so some of the things that you mentioned, like installing cameras, installing lights, um, I feel like those will be harder to do as someone who's renting as opposed to someone who's a homeowner. Like what are some options for renters? Yeah, you're exactly right. And depending on the rental agreement you have, you may not have the ability to install these things. Uh, they may be prohibited. Um, so there's a variety of different things that you can do. And unfortunately, renter, renters are victims more often than homeowners. Now, there's a variety of reasons for that. It could be, again, going back to the environmental aspects that these are closer together, generally smaller. Um, there's a lot of movement in and out of a neighborhood anyway. If you're renting, say you have an apartment where there's um, several hundred people living you know, closely together, it's pretty typical to not know who's at your door, who's walking by, right? Whereas in an established neighborhood, you kind of get to know the rhythms and people who are at home, and you might be able to identify someone who you know, sticks out a little bit and say, that, I haven't seen that person knocking at that door. Why are they looking in the window? Uh, and if you live with a lot of other people close by, you, know, you might not know that's your neighbor who locked themselves out trying to get back in their house. So there's a lot of reasons for this, but 
Um, again, if you if you had to go back to living in a, a closer community, maybe you're renting and you're not able to make some of these improvements. You know, some of the technology that's come around with video cameras to allow you to kind of mount them and do them wirelessly is really um, a huge benefit to you. The other option are having like internal lights on timers. Um, as I mentioned, you know, you can try and talk with some neighbors and things of that nature. I'd also recommend if you're living, especially where people can see inside your home, you don't leave valuables laying around anywhere. There's no reason to, you know, tempt people, uh, you know, to break into your home while you're gone. So um, I also had the um, opinion, I guess, or actually it's with more my partner. There's nothing in my house that people want to steal. I don't live in a particularly um, well-off area. Um, you know, why would people want to rob me? Um, and also the internal layout of this apartment complex is a maze. So I think he thinks that um, the likelihood that we would be burgled is very low just because of that. Is that a good mentality or is that going to, you know, um, burn us? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's hard to say. And if I could make these predictions, I'd make a lot more money. Um, but you know, the couple things that you pointed out, you know, might be helpful. Um, if it's, again, if it's difficult to get to, and there's not a lot of reason, um, to be there, right. And, and you kind of have to navigate your way into it. Generally that reduces theft and burglary. So, um, we've seen that again. That's why I pointed out my neighborhood has, you know, mainly one way in and one way out and has a lot of cul-de-sacs. So the streets just come to an end and you have to turn around and come back. And, and when you design a neighborhood that's that's open and free for anyone to come in, which they are, but is not somewhere that people cut through to go somewhere else and is not generally someplace you go unless you have a reason to be there, that's going to remove some of the opportunity and people aren't going to be aware of the opportunity. So in the last house I lived in, we still lived in a city with a cul-de-sac and it was in a city uh, a little bit closer together. And we'd never had any crime issues that I was aware of. And then one day, uh, several neighbors had bicycles stolen. Now they were in the front yards or the side yards. These were thefts, again, not burglaries. No one entered a home. And so the talk of the neighborhood was what was going on, who was stealing these. And uh, you know what I added to this situation and I may or may not be correct, is I had noticed about three days before there'd been a couple of work crews who'd come in and were working on another house. And they came in, they were there for two or three days and they left. And it just so happened on the third day when they left, all the bicycles disappeared as well. And so this is a really key you know, concept when we talk about theft and burglary. These are people who were from outside the neighborhood. I'm not saying anything ill of them, but they were there for a reason, a legitimate reason to work on a neighbor's home. And then it could be that they said, hey, there's these bikes and no one's around. It's easy. We're leaving today. We're not coming back. Let's let's take them with us. And so I think things like that occur very often. So, you know, if if your neighborhood or home is maybe difficult to get to or not real clear or not on a main street, then I do think you may have a reduced likelihood of being a victim of, of a theft or a burglary. Okay, that's good to note. Um, one good thing about where I live, even though... Um all the delivery drivers can't find us. That's always a problem. Yes, um, but I guess being secure in my home is more Absolutely. important. So you've mentioned a bit before about um, why um, burglar burglaries happen and why thefts happen. Like people want, you know, something easy. They just want some money. But home invasions seem a bit more personal. Um, 
I guess, what is the mentality? Why do people commit home invasions? That's a really good question. And honestly, somewhat difficult to answer. We have some ideas of why people do the things that they do. We certainly don't have all of them. And so, you know, going back to what we talked about with a burglary, which generally occurs when usually no one's at home, they're looking to take property is usually the the result there. So again, that can be looking for something of value to take um, or something like that. When you're looking at home invasions, that's generally, again, kind of a different category. And as I think you pointed out, something that's a little more scary to us, because that is generally there's an intent to have someone be at home. And so you're kind of invading that person's home and committing oftentimes a physical or violent crime against that person, as opposed to trying to steal their property. Now, you can also steal property that isn't exclusive, but generally that's a a focus of a individual or a person. And there can be a variety of reasons for this. One very common reason that we see a lot of times is uh, drug trade. So if you're dealing drugs out of your home, someone might come into a home invasion, if you will, and hold everyone up at gunpoint and steal the drugs from you, Um, right? So that can occur quite often with home invasion. And from my experience, that's often related to a home invasion is some type of illegal activity that's going on, you know, in a residence already, but certainly not all the time. But really the exact details and differences are a little hard to explain sometimes. Okay, so I guess the the best way to keep your home secure is don't do anything illegal with it. <laughs> so that's certainly really good advice, right? All the time. Um, and but but yeah, I mean, you know, if you are engaged in an activity that is um, illegal, right? You can't turn to the police the same way if you're victimized. Um, you may not have the support of your neighbors in the same way. So certainly doing something illegal in your home um, exposes you to more violence and more illegal activity as well. One problem with this is you might move into you know a space where someone has done that prior and you might never know. And so that's something to kind of consider as well um, when you're looking at uh, moving into a, to a new location, a new home, whether that's an apartment or a home, is kind of looking to understand, you know, who were the last residents, how long have they been gone, were there problems at this place before, et cetera, to give you an idea of maybe if there was, you know, concerning behavior prior to that, that maybe the thief who comes to steal something from that home doesn't know it's got new owners. So who would you talk to? Would you talk to the police or would you talk to neighbors? Um, Yeah. Well, again, this is going to be difficult and challenging. So to some degree, the police only know about crimes that are reported to them, which is honestly a very small number of crimes. Most crimes are not reported to the police, um, even including things like burglary and especially if there was criminal activity. Right. But, uh, yeah, you can check with the police. There's different websites you might be able to use. You could talk with uh, some neighbors, perhaps. Uh, the person who's either renting the home or selling it might be able to give you some some idea of what was going on there. So just kind of do your due diligence to make sure that you know a little bit about where you're moving to. So what are some other ways um, that we can keep our home safe from home intruders? So again, some of the basic things we talked about, you know, tailoring your security and layering it, having more. So specific to your needs and then certainly having, you know, multiple things that can secure your home. And we've talked about a lot of those. So it depends on your circumstances. Dogs are an excellent idea. Uh, Some type of warning sign that there's either cameras or an alarm system seems to be effective. Um, 
locks, making sure your doors and windows are locked, making sure your garage door is closed. Um, and then really, you know, one thing that we may have talked about a little bit that I want to want to really emphasize is if you live in a neighborhood where you can have some type of contact with your neighbors, I think that's very helpful. Um, so I, I kind of described my my home earlier in, you know, I live kind of on a, on a dead end street in my work office when I work from home is facing the front. So I can see out the window who drives by. And what has been so peculiar for me the last couple of years is I've gotten to know the six or seven neighbors that I have so well that if there's a car that is unusual that drives by, it kind of my attention is kind of alert and I'll kind of you know look out the window to see who it is. And just that awareness and that community of people together is very helpful. Um, and so I, one night I was out actually and, and saw somebody run through the back of my yard and I'm a little braver than some maybe, and maybe more foolish. So I took out after him because I thought it was kind of strange late at night. And and uh, they said, well, I, I live in a nearby house and I'm going home. And I said, well, why don't we walk over to that house together and let's see if you do in fact live there. And sure enough, it was a neighbor who I just didn't know a street over and they had a key to their house. And I thought, well, okay, everything's everything's fine. But, uh, you know, knowing who's in and out of your neighborhood and things like that can be very helpful. Uh, yeah. Um... I, when I went away recently, um, I told my neighbors, I got them to water my plants for me. And it's also good because we share a landing. So if anyone comes on the landing and is doing anything to my door and, you know, they notice, then they know exactly that I'm not supposed to be there and that they should probably, I don't know if they've got my number, but they would at least know that something's happening. Right. So, yeah. And that's, that's really important. And, you know, some other studies we've done with thieves and burglars, we found that just um, looking at somebody is like a huge factor for not committing a crime. So if you have somebody who is actively seeking out a home to break into and they drive down the street or walk down the street and a neighbor just looks at them and maybe says hi, uh, that's a huge um, reason to not break into a house around there because people feel like, well, someone saw me. Or they're already nervous about their activities. So they think, well, someone's going to remember me. Now, chances are probably you know fairly low. Um, but that's the same concept when you go to a lot of retail stores and the clerk will greet you when you walk in the front door. It's the same idea. They're wanting to let everyone know that we see you. We know you're here. You're welcome here. But that subconscious, like, we saw you here. And that can have a big impact, too. So it's important that you, you know, if you have neighbors, that they look at someone who's walking down the road, wave, even although it seems friendly, is going to kind of keep someone sometimes from stealing things. Okay. So be friendly to lots of people and <laughs> exactly. you won't make any, you won't make any enemies. <laughs> and, right. Try not uh, to make enemies. Yep. And you'll uh, scare all the bad people away. Sounds, sounds like a good a recipe for a good neighborhood actually. Right. And, and, you know, that's one of the things that we found over the years is that, you know, sometimes we even kind of apply healthy and unhealthy uh, concepts to neighborhoods. And, you know, there are things that make some neighborhoods more healthy than others. And there are things that impact neighborhoods differently. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, if you're renting and you have a lot of movement in and out of a neighborhood, it's hard to establish those norms and those relationships. So it's not something that's necessarily wrong or bad about living in a neighborhood where you have people move in and out. But it just makes it a challenge. And so that, again, goes back to the idea that you kind of get a good idea of the environment that you're in in your home 
so that you know you know better how to defend it because it's entirely possible that maybe you don't have great neighbors or you're not going to meet your neighbors and you don't want to well okay how can you you know augment that level of security in another way and that's what we might turn to cameras and signs and some other things again to make sure that we have a good balance of things and what do you do um if you're at home and someone comes into your house yeah, so this is really tough advice, and I thought about uh, thought about this a lot. And I'm going to basically, real quickly, say that's entirely up to you. So I am not giving you any type of legal or otherwise advice. Um, but here's a here's a list. I, I kind of thought of a few things, and you know, you could certainly just be very quiet and try to hide. Um, again, most burglaries are done with people who do not want, they don't want you there, right? That if they thought you were there, they probably wouldn't have even come there. In fact, some burglars, uh, a good portion will knock on the door or ring a doorbell just to see if anybody's home because they don't want anybody to be at home. So, um, you know, you could, you could try and hide. Um, you could try to go out another exit, whether that's a window or a back or a side door, you could try and run out the other way. Um, you know, it's up to you and to some degree, again, the legal jurisdiction you live in, whether you're allowed to fight back, right? That's, you know, an option that you may or may not have legally and you may or may not feel comfortable doing. Um, I will say that if during a burglary, right, during a, a routine burglary, um, if you are discovered in the home, there tends to be a higher likelihood of violence, right? So I guess ultimately I would say if, if you're not legally allowed to fight or ready to fight, you might want to consider hiding, running out the back door and calling the police or something like that. But it really is going to be up to you and the circumstances uh, that you're in. And then also, you know, who else is at home? You know, if I have young children at home, I'm not just going to leave them in the house and run away. But, you know, again, that kind of goes back to the circumstances that you have and maybe even kind of thinking through a plan of what you would do. It's definitely something that I think about really late at night when I'm like half asleep. I'm like, okay, what would I do? What would I do with my cat? Is he going to be quiet? Um, yeah, like, do I throw him out the window and just hope he's okay? Ah, <laughs> uh, pets, yeah. they make us do some crazy things, don't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Part of me thinks if they, attacked, if they attacked my cat, I would probably attack them. So I understand. Yeah, I wouldn't protect myself, but I'd protect my cat. Well, and that's, again, that's all the things that we... You know, it's better to kind of think through and have some kind of plan and an answer before than to try and have to think through it in the moment, especially when you're under a lot of stress. And that would be a very stressful mm -hmm. situation. So, yeah, yeah. I imagine everything I would ever know would fly out of my head and I'd go purely on instinct as well. Yes. So you also also mentioned um, porch, pi porch piracy. Hard one to say. Uh, so what is that? Yeah, so porch piracy has be kind of kind of become my specialty of, of sorts, and it wasn't really on purpose. I ended up being uh, one of the first people to do some research in that. And uh, when I started researching, I also found out it wasn't really defined, and so I had to kind of set about definitions. Um, but when we talk about porch piracy or porch pirates, or you might call it package theft or parcel theft, it's this idea that in um, quite a few countries, uh, a delivery service will come to your home and leave a, a box, a package, a parcel of some type, often on your front porch or your stoop or somewhere next to your front door. They leave and go on to the next house or apartment or wherever to make a delivery. And someone comes along and just simply walks up to your home, takes that box and leaves. And so we would call that package theft or we would call that person a porch pirate. That's kind of a colloquial term that was 
I'm not sure developed by whom. Um, I think in the U.S. and uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, I think was the first time that really came about. And it's really just kind of a way to to mock, if you will, or make light of a of a what's turning out to be a pretty serious crime. Now, I will mention real quick. This is different than someone who enters your house. Again, going back to our definitions, it's not burglary because they don't enter your house, but they do walk up to the porch uh, and take a package you know, from outside the home. So that would just be considered a theft. So that's generally what package theft is in porch piracy. Mm, okay. So what can you do to prevent it? Well, again, kind of like I've talked about with burglary, it's going to depend on a lot of factors. It may depend on where you live. Um, some of my research indicates that the closer the home is to the roadway, the higher the risk, because people can see the package from the roadway, right? I mean, and again, this makes sense. The same idea we had with securing your valuables. People can't see them and things. So removing the target is always probably the best thing to do. And that can be maybe you make sure that you're home when you have deliveries. So you remove your parcel as quickly as you can from your front porch. Maybe you have it delivered to a work address um, in large cities, they're starting to install parcel locker systems. You might have seen them outside of a convenience store or a retail store where the delivery company comes and there's like a bank of lockers. They put the boxes in. You go scan your code, take your box and leave. Um, you can have a uh, porch locker system installed in your house. Um, and that would be something where a delivery driver comes. They put a code in and unlocks a door. They place the package. They shut the door. It locks it back. You can come home and retrieve your packages that way. And at the very minimum, you can leave instructions uh, for the delivery uh, person to hide the package. That sounds kind of complex. It's usually not that hard. If you have a large enough porch, you can have like a plant or some type of box or maybe you have a chair or something there and just kind of tuck the package behind it. Again, the key is removing it uh, so that people don't see that it's there is generally the best way to prevent it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I had a parcel stolen from my letterbox at the front of my ha apartment. Um, and luckily I was able to contact the company and they actually just sent me a new one, um, which is really good. But yeah, I can imagine it'd be, if you're, if the company got it from, or if it's just from your grandma or something, you wouldn't be able to do that. Um, and it'd be very annoying. Um, yeah, I find most of them now just get taken for me straight to the post office. So I have to pick it up the next day. And yeah, and again, anything you can do to remove the opportunity is is good. And this is um, really quite a challenge. And again, it's going to going to vary by you know the environment that you live in. Um, it really seems to be quite a problem in the U.S. at the moment because we're very um, convenience centric and because we don't live generally in very tight small knit neighborhoods and things of that nature we expect these things to be delivered to our homes um, and that just creates a lot of opportunity and so any anytime you can reduce opportunity you're going to have um, you know a less likelihood of being a victim of something mm. um and what should you do if it is stolen like do you who, do you, who can you contact well again this is going to vary by your location and what's going on most people right now are contacting the retailer or the delivery company. And so sometimes that's the same place. Sometimes that's two different places. Usually the retailer wanting to continue to have you buy things is a little more willing to help you replace uh, the product. But it's not a bad idea to contact the delivery company as well to make sure that it wasn't delayed, maybe delivered to the wrong address um, or something like that. 
you can and maybe should contact the police. Uh, I've seen some surveys that only about five to 8% of victims ever do that. And one of the problems we face in the United States is that uh, crime, package theft or porch piracy, was not clearly defined in law. Now, it was still a theft, but when you look at it from a different types of theft, it got put into a category as everything that could be stolen that we don't have a list for otherwise, okay? And so this creates a real problem because then we can't go back and find out just how often it happens because it isn't recorded in a convenient way for police or researchers to look at and say, you know, this is what's happening. So certainly call the retailer and the delivery company to see if you can get uh, a new item shipped to you. And I would encourage you to contact um, your police department to see if they'll uh, file a report for you. And another option that we do seem to see a lot of, and this goes back to the comments we talked about having uh, neighbors, is a lot of people will turn to social media in their neighborhoods or um, neighborhood-centric apps uh, to share this information. Because again, what we see is people who walk from house to house to house committing this crime. And so there's a possibility that you can get kind of a neighborhood early warning system going and let some other people know, you know, this person's on the on the prowl. Yeah, at the same, at that t- time when my package was stolen, there was actually a sign on a neighbor's um, letterbox that said, do not leave packages um, because there are people who are stealing them. Um, yeah. Just as a note for the postie, I guess. Yeah, yeah uh, certainly a challenge. Yeah, um, seems to have stopped. Maybe I just don't get anything delivered anymore. <laughs> Could be. Mm. Um, is this something you do in your own home to keep it safe? You know, there's maybe one thing I do, and I'm probably going to be like most people and not a great example of this. Uh, but let me tell you about a practice that I have uh, some of my students do. So I teach a class. Uh, we have a couple classes focused on security. And um, it's usually more like industrial security, hospitals, businesses. But and it includes the home as well. And one of the assignments that I have students do is to do what I call a, a home security survey. And the assignment is to walk around the outside of your home and kind of look at it and look at it from like an offender perspective, right? Like, is there something about my house that makes it possibly attractive to someone? Do I get a lot of packages delivered to the front porch? Do I tend to leave my garage door open? Uh, can anyone uh, see my back door, for example? Uh, is there a neighbor that can see it and kind of keep an eye out? Or is it that no one can see it? Um, are there bushes that are so large and overgrown and maybe hiding uh, behind them is a possibility? That's you know not always a good thing. Um, and then I have students go on the inside of their house and do kind of an internal sweep. And one of the tasks I always have them do, and you can do this yourself, is to see how many of your windows are unlocked. And I'll explain this task in class and everyone's like, I don't have any windows unlocked. And then I look at the reports that they write because they write up a little study on it. And I don't know, I'd say 75% of my students find at least one window you know, that's unlocked um, in their home. And so you, know, you need to make sure you lock those. Uh, for years when I was investigating burglaries, uh, one of the best places to find fingerprints was on the outside of windows. And what I would find is that a burglar would often put their hands on the pane and try to slide the glass up. And I could see mm-hmm. where they'd work all the way around a house until they'd find one that was unlocked and then they'd go in. Well, it gave me great fingerprints, 
um, because unfortunately, well, maybe fortunately, they would put the gloves on as they were going in, not while they were trying to push the windows up. But, you know, so windows are, are key as well. Um, and then on the inside, you know, consider things like, can you see your neighbor's house? You know, do you know who comes in and out? Do you have a light maybe on a timer? Um, you know, do you open your shades or not? Again, that might depend on your on your preference. Um, but there's a lot of things you can kind of walk around and think about. And really, you know, doing that once or twice a year, daylight, nighttime, uh, both perspectives is really a good idea just to kind of see, you know, what's unlocked that shouldn't be. What do I leave out that maybe would be tempting for someone to come onto my property and steal? Uh, do we put our bicycles behind the house so nobody can steal them? Well, that's good unless you have an alley, right? And then you probably don't want them there. So, you know, it, it's actually just walking around your house and kind of being real, thinking if I was going to break in, how would I do it? If I was going to steal something, what would I steal? And then making some of the small changes to try and address those concerns that you have. Hmm. That's a great practice. I'm going to do that to my place sometime. I All think right. it's a little bit hard to break into my place because I'm on a, I'm not on the first floor. So you'd have to climb to get into the windows. And I don't think anyone would be doing that. Yeah, that's definitely uh, rare, but it does occur. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, uh, it, again, it takes a bit more skill to, to do that and risk. And again, we mm. know that most people are kind of risk adverse. So they may not be as willing to try and scale a window <laughs> up, yes. up top. Yeah. Um, so we do have some questions from the audience. Um, so the number one is, uh, what, are some, what are some signs that uh, make home intruders target those houses? So this kind of you know, goes back to a few things we've mentioned already. Um, opportunity and proximity, right? So if, if, a, if a likely offender is knows of your house and passes by your house often, that puts you a, a little bit higher risk. Um, and then we've done some studies with thieves and we'll ask them like, what, what was attractive about, you know, about that house? And, you know, the answers are somewhat conflicting, which you kind of expect when you think about human nature, like we might say one thing and do something different. I mean, most, well, most people don't wait. Most people do not really do the same thing, right? We say one thing and do something different. And we find that with thieves too. But some of the common themes that we see are homes that look like they might have valuables in them. Um, and usually people will say like, those look like wealthy homes. Um, one interesting thing to note is what you might, you might not consider your home to be something that is, you know, nice and large and full of expensive goods, but someone else might consider it that way. So, you know, con consider those things. Um, and then again, you know, you might look at what's outside your house. If you have, if you store lots of things on the outside that could be easily taken, um, or again, you've had someone in your house recently uh, to perform some type of service, or you've had a group over, uh, or someone in your family's had a bunch of friends over. Um, you're allowing people to be aware of what's inside, and that can always be a concern as well. So would you say if you have someone coming around, you know, um, someone who is uh, fixing your electrics, um, would you recommend, you know, putting away some of those more expensive items, um, I guess, just to remove the temptation? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, we could think of that as being kind of a, uh, a rude thing to do, but um, I, I don't think it is. And I, I think it only makes sense. And, you know, if you know you're going to have someone in your home, whether that's a group of people or someone individually, um, closing a door to an area where they shouldn't be is fine. Um, putting a few things away that you might normally have out, 
um, in a drawer or in a closet or something is, is perfectly um, a good idea. If at all possible, and you can be there and stay there the whole time, I think that's very helpful as well. Um, but again, while they may not take something while they're there at that time, they could see something and want to return later. So keeping things out of sight is certainly a good idea. Um, I'm not sure if you have these as often in other countries, but um, we have fly screens on our doors. Is it worth having like a really strong, like a strong one, like on the front and back doors? Well, that's a good question. I have a little saying that I used to tell people and it's not very comforting, so I apologize. Um, locks only keep your neighbors out. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've yet to find a door that can't be kicked open, um, including steel framed doors. Um, I've done a few myself at, you know, commercial buildings and hotels in an emergency in a, a fire or something like that. So really almost any door, whether it's a deadbolt or a lock or a screen of some type, um, can easily, people can, you know, really get into if they really want to. But again, I go back to motivation. Um, an effort. And unless someone's highly motivated, they may not put forth the effort. Or if it's going to be something that's loud, like breaking a window, they might not do that. Um, so, you know, anything, again, thinking back in a layered perspective. So if I can have multiple things that keep people away, um, that's what I'm going to do. So if you have, you know, a screen door or something that's kind of blocking even a little bit, it certainly would probably help. Um, but just like locks, it's not going to be an end all by itself. You need multiple things. And I guess they do keep away the most important uh, or the most annoying home intruders, uh, mosquitoes and flies. Absolutely. <laughs> um, another question um, is with, um, so sometimes you have, um, sometimes when you go away, I've been told to leave my light on or leave the radio on. But then other times I've been told if you leave the light on, then they'll, for several days, they'll know that you're not home. Um, if you don't have like lights that turn on and off, um, like on a timer, is it worth doing some of those things? Well, again, most burglaries are going to occur during the day. Um, by and large, well over the majority will occur during daylight hours. There are some that occur at night. Um, I'm of the mind that um, unless you have just a really tempting item in your house or a house that for some reason this person really wants to break into, it doesn't seem like most criminals will observe a house or case a house, if you've ever heard that expression, very long before they go in. So uh -huh. this idea that someone would watch your house and know, hey, every night at two in the morning, this light kicks on for an hour and then goes off, or this light's been on in that bathroom for three days. Um, it does happen. We, we certainly can't say that it doesn't. I don't know that it happens with great regularity. Um, so I usually encourage lights. That is one technique that I do use. Um, and about twice a year, usually we have you know, time change twice a year. I'll check the smoke alarms and I'll change slightly the time that some of the lights come on, just because I think that's helpful. And then if I do leave for a period of time, I might leave a light on somewhere that seems, you know, more reasonable, like a, like a you know, a bathroom or something like that. Um, so I do, I do things like that and I do think it helps and it's possible that someone could try and learn your, you know, behavior that way. But, uh, I think it's more likely to be helpful than harmful. Okay. So yeah, leaving a light on somewhere where it's going to help and not, I guess, disturb the neighbors. Sure. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, I think that's all the audience questions. Uh, so now we've got the open mic section. Um, so that's where you're going to talk about something else not related to the topic that you're passionate about. All right. So recently I started doing some work on what I call crime in the sharing economy. And the sharing economy is where we're sharing the things that we own. And uh, we would list things like rideshare, whether it's Uber or Lyft or another one. Uh, we would think about things like Airbnb and, and you know, short-term leasing a house out. And as I began to look at this, I realized that there are websites all over the world where we can share an unbelievable amount of things. So uh, if I had a garage set up and I could rent that out to someone on a daily basis, or I could rent out my tools or my textbooks, or there's multiple sites where you can lease short-term clothing to other people. Uh, there was a big phenomenon a couple of years ago in the U.S. where we would rent backyard pools. So I build a pool and I don't use it all the time so I can let someone else come over. And this is all things that we talk about in the, the sharing economy. And so that is an opportunity for crime. And so I really wanted to try and look at that. And so I've, I've done one of the first studies kind of examining it. And it is true that when you you know, share a ride with someone or let them rent your home or let them use your clothing or, you know, fill in the blank, the tool that you have or rent a bike from you for the afternoon, you are potentially opening yourself up to an opportunity for a crime. But one of the things that makes the sharing economy very different from times before is that rather than like a handshake, like, hey, neighbor, can I borrow your tool for about a week? And I don't really know my neighbor very well. And if uh, my neighbor damages the product or steals it, you know, I could call the police, but that seems awkward. One of the great things about the sharing economy is most of the platforms we use to identify people who want to share and find the people who want to borrow, which again, this all goes back to economics, interestingly enough, um, is this idea is there's a contract that's actually created. So when you rent my house or, uh, a parking space or my backyard pool, uh, there's a digital contract. I know who you are and you know who I am. And we're both digitally signing a piece of paper saying you agree to use my facility this way for this long for X amount of dollars. And what happens is uh, if I overstay my welcome, then you can call the police and the police would show up and it wouldn't be like, well, she said I could stay for six hours and now she's saying I can only stay for four. They'd simply look at the, the agreement on the app and say, no, you're here for four hours, your time's up, you have to go. And so there's actually enforcement mechanisms. When we think about crime, we think about three things that has to happen. And this goes back to what we just talked about as well, but you have to have um, a motivated offender, right? Somebody who wants to commit some type of crime. You have to have the property or the person, and then you have to have the lack of a capable guardian. This is what we call the crime triangle. And much like with a fire triangle, if you're familiar with that, you have to have you know, all three elements for something to burn. You must have all three things for a crime to occur. So if there's not a motivated criminal, there's not going to be a crime. If there's not property to steal, no matter how motivated the criminal is, there's not going to be a crime. And if there's someone there um, to guard it, they'll be much less likely to have a crime as well. Now, that doesn't have to be a security guard, as we talked about. It could just be the friendly neighbor who waves at you. And that's a level of guardianship as well. And so when we look at the sharing economy, what we see is a, a radical shift 
And we're going to start sharing probably more and more products, more and more things, fewer cars that we're going to own. Not everyone needs to have a cordless drill because maybe just two people in the neighborhood do. Uh, not everyone needs a pool. And so as we start sharing these things, we're not anonymous to each other, right? I know who you are. You know who I am. We have a written contract, this date for this many hours for this price, returned in good working order. And so I think we'll actually see a reduction in crime because we know who each other are. Again, if you just think of rideshare for just a moment, years ago, you might go out and you might hail a taxi and you didn't know who the driver was. The driver didn't know who you were and no one knew where the driver took you. But as technology has come around, if I use my phone, I at least theoretically have some level of comfort to know uh, this is so-and-so, this is the type of car they drive, the company knows who they are, and the company tracks everywhere we go. So there's ever a question of whether I was taken to the right place or whether they stole something from me. A lot of these questions are answered through technology. So I think as we move into the sharing economy, it will certainly present some challenges for crime. But I think it will answer a lot of the questions that we've had as well on multiple fronts. And so I think it'll be very exciting to see, you know, what happens to crime in these areas and these these places when we implement this type of technology. I guess with um, the sharing economy, though, um, well, I think it does make it much harder to commit crimes. For example, with the ride sharing, you probably know who the person is. Is there a certain amount of, I guess, people not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So um, impersonating a driver, oh, not impersonating, but, you know, saying that they're so-and-so when they're the driver, but they're not actually that person or, um, yeah, doing or getting a phone, a new phone and setting up a new account and um, using the Rideshare app and, you know, then using it for some nefarious reason. Absolutely. You know, this certainly can happen and there are cases where it has happened. So this isn't, you know, again, the end all, we're going to solve crime, you know, through this method. I do think it'll reduce it. And one aspect that we didn't talk about a whole lot during our earlier conversation, and the idea I presented just now was this idea of guardianship, this idea that someone's there to kind of keep an eye on things. And what I've proposed is that, you know, with these apps and things, there's some level of a digital guardian. So you, you pose two possibilities. One is, um, someone who's legitimately driving for a rideshare company who then commits a crime or has questionable activity or just doesn't treat people well. Well, that company, especially if you have a rating system, is going to see these ratings, is going to take these complaints, and they might say, like, you're not going to work for us again. That's a really good thing, right? Because now we're now we're allowing these, these guardians to kind of have some control um, over things. And in some companies, it works the other way. If I borrow your car and... Um, Let's just say it's been a hard night party and there's trash everywhere in the back. That person may not want me to ride in their car again. So this can work both ways. So that that's helpful. Um, and then the question of, you know, trying to maybe have false credentials. And I certainly have seen some signs where people pull up at a busy party with a rideshare logo that maybe they used to work for them, but they don't anymore. People just hop in a hop in a vehicle. Certainly, there's always going to be ways that criminals will find to overcome regulations to make sure that they can easily find uh, victims um, and targets, uh, you know, uh, to do. And so that certainly is a challenge. Um, but I really think, again, going back to thinking about where you're likely to be a victim and how you can try and prevent it, um, I think we can come up with some creative ways to do that and kind of be aware, you know, again, making sure that the person that you think you're sharing with is the actual person and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, I guess people are always going to do illegal things, but it's about making it more difficult and then reducing the likelihood that people will do it. Absolutely. I couldn't say it better myself. That's perfect. Great. Um, yeah, I think, uh, was there anything else you wanted to share about the sharing economy? No, I think that's it. I, I'll be interested to see. Uh, as I said, it'll bring new forms of crime, as you very well mentioned. I think it'll reduce other forms of crime. And I think overall, it'll be a net positive uh, because we're reducing um, a lot of the things that, that encourage crime. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, um, I think that'll be really interesting to see. Yeah, uh, look forward to seeing some of your future papers. Um, so if people want to find out more about you, uh, where should they go? Well, I actually have a website, professional website, with uh, a good amount of research that I've done. Um, and I try to put some more um, easily accessible items in there, some of the popular magazines that I've written for and the news interviews and things, some of the podcasts that I've been on. Um, and that's simply my first and last name. So it's benstickle.com. And I have a good portion of, uh, of my work there, and you're welcome to, uh, to take a look at that and uh, contact me if I can help you with anything. Great. Um, I'll put I will put the um, e uh, website up on our show notes so people can find it easily. Um, perfect. So thank you for talking to me today. Then it was really really great to learn lots and to feel mm, less safe in my house, but with the knowledge to make it safer. Well, that sounds good. I enjoyed the conversation, and you know it's always hard sometimes to know. I don't I don't want to frighten people um, more than they should be. Uh, some people need to be more aware. Um, others probably need to be not as aware. Um, and kind of getting a grasp of that can be difficult. But I, I do think, as you pointed out, there are some fairly simple, easy things to do to reduce your your likelihood of being a victim of a crime. And ultimately, you know, that's why I went into policing. That's why I've gone into academics. Try and find out ways to, to solve this uh, problem because there's always going to be crime. So the question is, how can we try and prevent it? Great. Thank you. You've been listening to On the House, produced by the Household Management Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes like this from across 10 life management perspectives can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, and any other podcasting apps available on your smart devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating, sharing, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people to find it so we can grow and continue to bring you quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website, hm.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Gabriella Yastra. Thanks for tuning in.